Avengers Infinity War. Now, nothing will ever be the same. Can anyone make sense out of all that's happened? These guys are going to try. Peter Melnick, local newspaper production associate, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And Eddie Wilson, upstate New York morning radio broadcast announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, inundated with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. What happens next? Listen up, true believers. It's time for another episode of The Marvelists. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick, and I'm flying solo today. Eddie Wilson, however, will be back for the next episode. But in the meantime, how can people get a hold of us on social media? I'm glad I asked that. First off, go on Facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Give us a like on there. Go on Twitter at The Marvelists. Give us a follow on there. And follow myself at Peter Melnick. Eddie's not on Twitter. Eddie doesn't need any of your Twitter chicanery. And also, you can find us on Instagram at The Marvelists. Myself, at Peter Melnick. And Eddie is at EWilson9193. In addition, you can also be able to listen to this show on a wide variety of audio platforms, including TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, of course, SoundCloud, and once again, the big one, Spotify. When you're on iTunes, by the way, rate, review, subscribe, and share it on all social media platforms. Let people know you're listening. Let people know you're enjoying this show. Also, send us an email in our email bag, themarvelists at gmail.com. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters, we will read them on air. We will enjoy them. We will love them. We'll love them. I don't even know. Also, just a little aside for you people out there. The Blade Trinity episode is going to be coming two episodes from now. It will be released. We actually still have to record it as of this recording on December 16th, which is also the 27th anniversary of Mission Report, December 16th, 1991. Yeah. As of this recording, happy assassination of Howard and Maria Stark Day. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. We are joined today with comic book writer and late show Stephen Colbert writer Daniel Kibblesmith. And this interview got to take place at the Underground in Beacon, New York, a brand new comic shop in the upstate New York region. A little not too far from New York City if you're traveling. And I recommend checking the place out. It's a very fun place, really nice atmosphere. If you're a gamer, if you like comic books, if you like all that stuff. I highly, highly, highly recommend checking out The Underground. Now, I think is the time to get into that interview, which starts right about now. Those are the building blocks from which all... It's true. (laughs) From which all of us emerge. It's the primordial swamp. I mean, my my last name, you know, it's very... Just, just, it's generic, Mm -hmm. but not really, you know? But... Kibblesmith. Kibblesmith is a name where it's fun to say, to be completely honest. It's memorable, but it's weird. It's weird on its face. And people will ask me sometimes if it's real. Uh, and I don't understand how it couldn't be. You know what I mean? Like, it's weird, but it's not, you know, like Tom Cruise or something where you assume that maybe that's a fake name. Like, why would you ever choose is, Kibble Smith? Is Cruise his real name? It seems like a stage name. It's his, I think his real name is Maplethorpe. Cruise of Berg or something, or Steen. Or yeah, exactly. De La Cruz. 
that's that's a good one. I like but that. yeah, so he shortened it to the most movie star name of all time. But so people ask me if Kibblesmith's my real name. If it's not, it must be like a really inside joke. It's, like I said, it's just fun. There's just like the the playfulness of it. You're just like Kibblesmith, <laughs> boom. A lot of syllables. So right now, as you can tell, we are joined with Daniel Kibblesmith, and he is the writer of Black Panther versus Deadpool from Marvel Comics. And as of this recording on October 27th, the year of our Lord, 2018, we are currently in the underground in Beacon, New York. Not literally underground, we're above ground, which is, mm-hmm. it's nice. We're there's, like in the back. There's no Morlocks, though. No. I, I'm happy about that. You know, just hit him with a stick. Um. Yeah, and it is the week of your comic on Halloween Comic Fest. Yeah, and I which I just found out about this year. I didn't know the Halloween Comic Fest was a thing, and there are shops doing it all over on yeah, social some, media. Some shops do it, some shops don't. I've, I've been a fan of it. I've partook, yeah. partaken, whichever, whichever uh, one is more grammatically you correct. spooked! See, that, that I can get behind. It's, it, this is the spoopy season. Yep. And, yeah, um, I actually read the book On the Way Here, Damn, you get the character's tones right just immediately in the first issue. So, let's just sell people on the book right off the bat. Why should people read Black Panther versus Deadpool? I mean, it's all in the title. It's Black Panther versus Deadpool. But thank you for saying that about the, the tone of the characters. That's a, that's a huge compliment because that's, I think that's what sells the book. Is um, There's been a lot of these uh, Deadpool crossovers. And uh, I think the fun is uh, seeing him clash with the other personalities and uh, with uh, something like, you know, um, Deadpool versus Carnage. It's like two bugs in a jar. You know, they're like both the maniacs. Yeah. Uh, But with uh, Deadpool and Black Panther, like they're uh, such um, polar opposites personality-wise. You get this really like traditional kind of uh, straight man in Black Panther. You know, he's, he's... uh, controlled, he's brilliant, he's the peak of human achievement, and then you get uh, Deadpool, who is, you know, bugs. Oh my god, that was another speaker falling off of the wall. That makes three speakers. Uh, for those of you playing at home, the speaker fell. That's one for us, but three for the people here. Yes, <laughs> so um, uh, this place is definitely haunted <laughs> for Halloween Comic Fest. <laughs> They truly got it all spooky for us. I, yeah. I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, if you love uh, Black Panther and Deadpool in the comics, or you love Black Panther and Deadpool in the movies, it's a, it's a self-contained miniseries. You know, it's in continuity, uh, but it's not of continuity. Uh, you can give this you can give this book to um, somebody who's never read a comic before and say these are your guys, and uh, this is a fight that you can't get in the MCU right now. I and it's it's. It's a fight I would love to see in the MCU, and depending on 2019, maybe one day. You yeah, never know. yeah, we're getting we're getting there. The corporate stuff, the gears are grinding into place for something like this. And one of the things I like about this is even the smaller characters, like Ashuri, you got her voice down perfectly. And I actually heard her, when I'm reading her lines in your story, I'm reading them in the actress's voice. And I'm just like, this is perfect. I get this. He's got the characters. And... What I want to know is with the character of Deadpool, obviously humor is the major contributing factor to about what makes the character work. What was something you wanted to do the most with humor to interject into Deadpool for this? That's a great question. Um, I think my biggest goal, because I come from comedy, uh, my other job is that I'm a, a writer for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, 
and uh, you know, I did like a lot of Twitter, and I have written like humor books and stuff uh, like that. So the one thing I wanted to do was uh, I wanted to write Deadpool from uh, pers personality uh, more than like um, I didn't want to I didn't want to write like the Deadpool that you see on like the T-shirts and stuff, where it's just like a word balloon that says Chimichangas. You know, like I wanted to like I wanted to make sure that like this guy is this guy is a funny person, like. He's funny the way that your friend is funny. He's just always on, and he's like this in the world, and he kind of operates. Uh, you know, he's a guy for whom there are very few consequences because he can't get hurt. Yeah. So that turns you into a person who behaves that way. So I think I just wanted to like grow what it means for Deadpool to be funny, and there have been so many great Deadpool writers over the years. Like Jerry Duggan, obviously, was doing it for a long time, and. I love Colin Bunn and Gail Simone and you know Joe Kelly obviously was you know why Deadpool is Deadpool and I just wanted to like continue that tradition of expanding him as a guy that you love and not a one-dimensional character who's like you know shouting catchphrases and has a cool look but uh, somebody where you understand why he's making the decisions he's making and they're funny because he's funny or they're funny because he's self-destructive uh, so, you know, sometimes you're rooting for him and then other times it's like, oh, Deadpool, no, no Deadpool. <laughs> and I've also, like, I love how you can tell the person the references they can make Deadpool make. And the one that brought the biggest smile to my face and I openly yelled out loud, oh my God, he just did that was the Darkwing Duck reference. Yes. <laughs> I was yes. so appreciative of that. It just the... Read the book, people. I'm not going to spoil what it is, but that line was just fantastic. And just, like, it took me out of it for a second in a good way. And then I'm like, this guy gets it. And then I go right back in. And, yeah, it was just fun. Yeah. Just absolutely fun. And just to see that, you I know? I really appreciate that, yeah. And, I mean, that's because if the, I mean, the way I see so the character, it's bad. like... Um, it's Albert saying good and bad news. Uh, <laughs> I'll find out what that's about. So, um, but the, the way I see the character is like, if he's self-aware about being in a comic book or being in his own comic books, that means he's just like a pop culture aficionado. Like, and you know, and the, that's been in Deadpool since the beginning. Like, he loves B. Arthur. Like, he's got fandoms. Who really doesn't, though. With. I mean, B was a sweetheart. And B's amazing. B go, is Bay. Go you watch really it. <laughs> you can't spell B. <laughs> Without Bay. This is true. Go back and watch. Look, the Star Wars Christmas special gets a lot of flack. It's maligned, but her number is insane for sure, but also amazing. I mean, and then there's Maud. And then know? there's Maud. And then there's Maud, as they say. <laughs> but yeah, so the way I see it, uh, Deadpool lives in our world mentally. Like, he knows what we know. And I'm a, you know, a 30, 35 year old uh, comic book writer and fan, uh, so he's gonna know who Darkwing Duck is. Uh, and uh, he's, this uh, issue's loaded with pop culture references, and they're all like roughly my pop culture references. I loved the acknowledgement of the movies from Deadpool towards Black Panther in the, in the issue though, with the, you're a lot more nicer in the movies, I believe was the line. <laughs> Uh, that's true, but in defense of Black Panther, it's because in the movie he doesn't have to put up with Deadpool. Which, even though that story uh, is in the original Priest run, uh, the story that gets adapted into the movie has Deadpool in it. Uh, Deadpool has fought uh, Black Panther 
before, but um, yeah, that, that story was the Killmonger Black Panther. I believe it was uh, Black Panther 30-something? I don't question know. mark? I don't know, but it was that era, because it was when Priest was on both books. And Priest was... The fact Priest got to also write Quantum and Woody and Deadpool at the same time, just amazing stuff. Yeah. And for the comic heads out there, that's like some runs you should definitely check out. Yeah, he's the guy. And I, I got to write Quantum and Woody uh, as well. And um, so I have like a lot of jobs now where I'm like, okay, you are standing on the shoulders of Priest. Like, and that stuff feels like it was written yesterday. Like the, yeah. the 90s Quantum and Woody is so ahead of its time. Um, I actually, when I got the Quantum and Woody job, um, I went to a bookstore in Beacon uh, down the street and I found the uh, paperback of the Quantum and Woody director's cut and I read that on the train back to Manhattan and I said, how am I ever going to live up to, to this writing? Yeah. And the answer is to have uh, Kano draw it and, yeah. then, and then you're going to have a beautiful book no matter what. And I know like right now Quantum and Woody is actually going to be getting a television series. That's so what they say. Yeah. I'm wondering Fingers how crossed. they're going to adapt it. You know, like what version are they going to use? Are they going to use... You know the fairly recent ones. Are they going to use the you know the OG one? Yeah. We don't know yet. But. I mean, I don't. You know, obviously, I don't know anything because the worlds of the comics and the worlds of the adaptations are so compartmentalized. But um, what's great about Quantum and Woody and what made it so easy—not easy, but you know—what made it so like uh, energizing to write Black Panther versus Deadpool is that if you come to it from personality. Like, you come to it from character. Like, Quantum and Woody is, like, a really similar dynamic. Uh, you have uh, these uh, two guys, and one of them is, like, the straight-laced, uh, uptight one who lives in a world of control. And then you have the, the X-Factor, the wild card. Uh, so uh, I really felt like... I, I think that's just my beat now, is that they give me, like, the odd couple books. Now, is this your first book with Marvel? It's my second book with Marvel. What was the first one? That would be Lockjaw. Uh, Four-part uh, four miniseries uh, starring everybody's favorites, uh, Inhuman Dog. What was the thing about Lockjaw that attracted you to the character and you put your spin on it? Uh, so I get to write the origin of Lockjaw, so that was a big deal. So you may talk about a spin. That's the most obvious, uh, most obvious takeaway for me. Um, I was just excited about doing, uh, you know, uh, someone who hadn't done a ton of superhero comics, uh, someone who was like more from comedy world. Uh, I think it was uh, the editor pitched me Lockjaw, Will Moss, um, and I think it was a natural fit to sort of try something out together that was a little bit under the radar and have a character who was kind of like, not a comedy character, but like inherently a little sillier and on the periphery of the Marvel Universe. So like we took that and we leaned into it and we did a story that's all about being on the outskirts of the Marvel Universe. So you know, we have a character who's like a teleporter who can like go to space or other dimensions. Uh, so the whole book became this uh, road movie. It's a buddy road movie with Lockjaw and D-Man. D-Man is getting over a bad breakup, uh, of course. Uh, so it's all about... Um, uh, you know, finding uh, yourself and your family and um, kind of just getting out of the house. Right. Like, uh, you're stuck in the house and all of a sudden a teleporting dog uh, lands on your doorstep. And I'm not a Doctor Who guy, but I have friends who are Doctor Who people 
and they're like, oh, this is Doctor Who. This is like a regular person with like a magic traveler shows up and like whisks you away. And we ended up stumbling into like a very similar vibe. I've, and I've noticed like the Doctor Who influence though in regards to a lot of Marvel titles in you know, recent memory, especially Dan Slott's Silver Surfer. Dan which, Slott is a Doctor Lordy. Who guy. Yeah. How has he not done a Doctor Who book yet? I'm still surprised. I'm sure. I'm sure he's working on it. I so, man. <laughs> I'm sure I he's so. working on it. And it's, you know, it's just so cool to see that there are the comedy writers coming into Marvel. Like, you know, yourself, Chip Zdarsky, yep. Jerry Dugan, and... Chris Hastings, uh, Ryan North. Uh, yeah, people coming from, like, different kind of tones and resumes and stuff. And you also see, like, the comedy guys, they can write thought-provoking, wonderful stuff. Like, you know, look at Zdarsky's Howard the Duck. And on the surface, it's, oh, it's a Howard the Duck comic, whatever. And then that one issue will kick your heart in the balls with the heart's balls. Cockles, maybe, I guess. But with the gender-bend Howard the Duck and the gender-bend Rocket Raccoon. And I've said it, I actually said to Joe Quinones at New York Comic Con this year, it is the most heartbreaking issue I've ever read, and I didn't expect to feel that way from it. But to see the comedy guys come along, and they'll make you laugh, and they'll make you cry, and I love it. I think that's, I mean, I think that's it. Like, I was talking to um, another uh, late-night writer uh, who now writes comics, uh, Jeff Loveness, about this, and uh, he and I were talking about how, uh, you know, I'm, like, paraphrasing uh, but how comedy is storytelling and it's you know it's emotion based and uh it's it's manipulative and it takes you on a journey and like if you are a comedian like you have those storytelling skills and we were talking about how like when we're breaking into comics people want to give you like uh lockjaw and you know howard howard the duck type assignments uh and secretly we all just want to do like sad sad daredevil you know you know watchman type stuff we want to do like brooding in the rain it's like we've all got that the comedians are sad i don't know if everybody knows this like a lot of comedians are also like a little sad inside oh yeah so i think that when you write comedy you've got all these like different storytelling skills at your disposal and you can kind of sneak up on people and like Kevin Smith for example he came along and killed off Karen Page and made it sad then you also have Jerry Dugan's run which of Deadpool which was so emotional yeah and you again you wouldn't expect that so what I'm getting at is how are you going to make us cry in this series (laughs) (laughs) how am I going to make you guys cry in uh, Black Panther versus Deadpool well it's it's all here's a very slight spoiler for issue one is that I have uh, very nearly killed Willie Lumpkin. I saw that. The Fantastic Four's longtime mailman uh, gets uh, impaled with a piece of shrapnel in the in the very first issue, and then the thankfully his son Deadpool Lumpkin. Deadpool Lumpkin, his son, uh, <laughs> as he tells the doctor, uh, is uh, and that's like the inciting incident, and that's why he has to go to vibranium uh, Wakanda to get vibranium for the the vibranium ther- therapy that can maybe save his life, but. Um, that's the thing. I do want this. I do want this to be more than you know. It's going to be a fun, super violent, like bloody romp. You're going to see them beat the crap out of each other, and they're going to be cracking jokes, and like their personalities are going to be on full display. But Deadpool's doing this because he messed up, and he wants to be a better person. And the thing that I identify with in these characters is. The idea of wanting to be the best version of yourself that you can be, that's what they both have in common. And Black Panther does it with meticulous control. 
And Deadpool does it by seeing, you know, trying everything and seeing what sticks. Uh, and I think that that is what's going to make you cry in this one, is two guys who are just trying. And I don't know about anybody listening to this, but in 2018, that's what I identify with. It's just people who get up, get out of the house, and do their job. Uh, and that's that's who any of these characters are, and that's what makes us love, you know, Marvel in particular. Oh yeah, you know, that's what that's what Peter Parker is. That's what Ben Grimm is. They're just people who are like they don't they're not feeling it every day, but they get up and they do the job. It's absolutely true, and I just feel seeing you know writers like yourself come along and work on a character. It's awesome to see the love you guys have for the characters too. Like I could tell, I could tell the you know, the fandom especially. And that's when it that's when it feels special, you know? And I, I'm just I'm just verbal diarrhea right now. No no no, I'm I'm just soaking up all the compliments. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> but yeah, I just I'm I dug the first issue and I'm excited to see what's in store. Like I'm a lifelong or not lifelong, but like I've been a fan of Deadpool since I believe two thousand ten mm-hmm. and I, I've collected. The that would have been like around like the Marvel Now relaunchy kind right of stuff. Right before, I was okay. a Daniel Way guy, and Dan- yeah, 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 Daniel gets a lot of flack from the fanboys, but he brought me into this. No, you know? I think those were the first Deadpool comics I I was reading too, because I always thought that this was like, um, you know, I think like a lot of people who grew up reading comics in the '90s, I had kind of like a how I learned to stop worrying and love Rob Liefeld kind of situation. <laughs> You know, where it's like you, you, you love it, and then you, and then you kind of think you're supposed to hate it, and then you come back around and you realize, oh no, this always had this incredibly magnetic energy. There was a reason that I was drawn to this. And that's the thing with Liefeld now, especially, like, Liefeld got a renaissance, like, people love him again. Mm-hmm. And I still say it, you know, from actually sitting with the guy for a little bit, you know, I, we interviewed him for the program, and... He embraces this now. He loves, like, he, he's willing to make fun of himself, no, too. Yeah, no one knows better the journey that oh he has God. been on than the man himself. Yeah, of course. I love, I told him to his face, I'm like, I love the pouch, and I thought the satchel was a genius concept. Like, his sidekick, the satchel. Of course there's a sidekick, because why not? And Yeah, and, you know, also he works in the arts. Like, yeah. if he's not, you know, if he doesn't have a sense of humor uh, and, a, and a real love for what he's doing, I'm sure. I don't know the man at all. We've never, we've never spoken. He did do some, uh, some uh, variant covers uh, for this, though, that I think are exclusive to his own website or, uh, or uh, convention appearances. But um, yeah, no, I'm grateful for I'm grateful for what uh, he helped create, and uh, it, like you were saying with the Daniel Way stuff, it's all part of the evolution. Yeah, you know, everybody gets to come in and kind of take take their turn with it, and that's the beauty of this kind of storytelling. So I'm just trying to trying to grow it. And I noticed that as well. Also, like we have like certain creators that come along, and like Fabian Nicieza. Fabian comes along and. I remember everyone was going on saying, Joe Kelly wrote the best comedic Deadpool. Best comedic Deadpool. And then he comes along, he's like, oh yeah? Okay, your challenge has been accepted. And in my opinion, Fabian's run surpassed Joe's. And I love Joe's run. Yeah. But just, again, just the level of what each person brings to the table with the character. Right. And it's, it gets folded into the mythology. It's... Like this is a five-parter, but if they, I mean, if they have me back, I'll write, you know, I'll write as much Deadpool as they'll let me. 
as a reader, I'd be down for that 100%. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Hopefully, hopefully the people listening to this agree. Write your congressman. <laughs> and I like, the, um, I like the art in this. Ortiz did a fantastic job. Yes. Oh, my God. And one of my things that I've noticed, like, I, you know, I read the old school stuff from, like, the 60s, 70s, like how you look at Iron Man and you can... It's a static position of the way the mask is. It never changes, but the, you change an angle and it looks a little bit different, like a more morose face, but it's still, you know, just the flat face. Yeah. The integrity of the physical object is, is maintained. Ortiz does that with Deadpool's mask in this, I notice, a lot. Yep. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> and you can see, like, a smile come out of there. I love it. I think that was just such a neat little touch to the character that you don't really see that often, but quite frankly, you really should. Yeah, it's more um, it's more expressionistic. Um, Ortiz is a big um, if you if you don't know his work, uh, he also uh, recently was doing um, Hit Girl. He did a Kingpin with um, with uh, Matthew Rosenberg, uh, which is the first place I saw uh, his work, and it's very like um, it reminds me of like Cowboy Bebop or something like that. Like I got it. It's very like expressive and fluid. And there's like street art vibes and manga vibes. I, yeah, I've noticed that. Like. And it's just, it's so kinetic. It's yeah. very, you know, motion-oriented, and I like that. Yeah, Deadpool's first appearance in issue one is a, is a chase scene. And then when I saw that art come in, I, I wrote, I think, literally like three more chase scenes <laughs> into this book, because I, this is what, uh, this is one of the things uh, that, this, that uh, this artist, that Ortiz is just... Uh, like a master of is that yeah that uh, kineticism and that like fluidity and like there's a panel where it's like you can it's a school bus and you can see everything rushing by in the window outside and it's just nuts and it feels like an action movie it feel you know it feels like the domino sequence in Deadpool 2 it feels like you're there and it's happening and I mean you know it also introduced us to the first appearance hopefully of one of many of Lin Manuel Barack uh, Khaleesi. There we go. Yeah, the young man. I mean, who is <laughs> the little kid who's driving the bus. And that is that is the single most Brooklyn name I've heard. In, oh yeah, in a very long that's, time. That's you know what neighborhood I live in. <laughs> well, before we go, how can people get a hold of you on social media? I am at Kibblesmith uh, across all social media. Um, I try to update my website at uh, kibblesmith.com. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, easy easy to find. And what is next with your writing for Marvel? I'm not sure. Uh, we've been talking about doing some stuff, and I've got some some pitches out. Uh, so uh, it always has to, to go through the machinery and see what you know what they're interested in in putting out. That but actually um, interests me. What is the pitching process like at Marvel? I think we're going to rewind a little bit back. Sure, back sure, sure, sure. Ending this, but uh, I mean, I think I have to assume it's different for everybody because they have people who are like you know exclusive and people who like uh, oversee particular beats and stuff. Um, for me, because I have such a demanding uh, day job, uh, I pretty much just get emails directly from the editor saying, you know, or the first time it happened and said, we've seen that you're doing comic work and, you know, you're visible on social media, like, would you have time for something? And they didn't say what it was yet um, because, uh, you know, the comic book company is very hush-hush and about what's coming out. So for me, uh, it was first a question about schedule and enthusiasm and the answer was my schedule is terrible, but I'm very enthusiastic, <laughs> and that tends to that tends to help. That's on my dating profile, I believe. Yeah, you should open with that. <laughs> I'm very busy, but enthusiastic. So uh, you're kind of saying yes before you know what you're saying yes to, at least in my case. Yeah. Um, and in this case, it was it was Lockjaw, which was just awesome because I think that the editor uh, Will had seen me 
joking around about Lockjaw on Twitter and knew that I was a comics guy and a comedy guy and that you know, it was going to be a good fit. And if I could fit it into, at the time, uh, I was still on Quantum and Woody. Um, so, yeah, we, we pulled it off. I was able to, to get, get both of those at the same time. Um, so for me, it's sort of like, I'm pretty, you know, if you're a creator, uh, one of the things you shouldn't do is overcommit. You should never say yes to anything that you can't do. Yeah. Because um, that'll hurt you in the long run more than saying no to things that you are worried, you know, you'll miss out on. Uh, so I'm pretty pretty upfront about being able to tackle one or two things at a time. So yeah, it's pretty much just been like, okay, this is winding down. What else do you got? And then just trying to keep that conversation going with the editors. As a writer for Colbert, what is the biggest difference between the two, writing comics and writing, you know, in uh, comedy, television comedy, and the biggest thing that's the most alike in the two? Yeah, I'd say the the obvious difference is that it's um, narrative and character driven in comics um, versus this kind of in uh, comedy, especially late night, often very political comedy. Uh, and very topical, current yeah, topical. Yeah, that's like the national conversation. So um, it's almost like a narrative and character voice versus editorial voice. And there's still jokes you know you still have the like the rhythm of of dialogue or you know what hopefully sounds like dialogue in people's heads but um i compare it to like playing two different video games you know you're playing playing uh, zelda and then you're playing mario kart like colbert is mario kart man it is just like full speed ahead it's like here's what's coming at you and you process it in real time he is on rainbow road yes he's on the he's on the rainbow road for all of us and then, um, yeah, something like uh, Black Panther versus Deadpool, uh, you outline it, uh, yeah. you know? So uh, writing, writing for uh, Colbert, it's, uh, I'd say it's more kind of reactionary uh, because you have to take the national conversation and, and fully understand it and then have it again at the end of the day with everyone. Totally. Um, and then uh, Black Panther versus Deadpool or, you know, any, any Marvel comic, you take those personalities come up with uh, your, your, the theme that you want to work with or the idea you want to convey and the, the goal that they need to have in order to, to create that conflict um, and really outline it the way you would a movie or a novel or, or something like that and you know let the characters start speaking to you. So yeah. with Colbert, we're the character. I mean, America is the protagonist <laughs> uh, and we're just uh, taking it as it comes. It's an interesting time we live in, that's all I can really say. Yeah. Yeah. But what I would also... Well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to words now. Sure. I think uh, we'll wrap it up. Yeah, 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 this is great. So once again, before we go, you said you can, people can get a hold of you on social media uh, at Kibblesmith? At Kibblesmith, across all social media. I think it might be Daniel Kibblesmith on Facebook or Daniel.Kibblesmith on Facebook. Yeah, well... <laughs> That's where it got. <laughs> that's because I also have Kibblesmith on Facebook, but that's the one that's just me talking to my siblings. My thing is, on social media, I'm always the guy who tries and gets on every platform with my own name because there's also another Peter Melnick who's mm -hmm. a uh, film composer who's done, I believe, he did a Steve Martin movie, he did another thing, and he doesn't care for me very much because I just immediately just get the Peter yep. Melnick names every single yep. time. Eat it, Melnick. Yeah. <laughs> Swoop. I think I've been on every single platform, just, you know, partially despite this movie. Yeah, man. Hit me up on Ello. <laughs> Hit me up on Vera. Oh, 
Man, that was a thing for that all was about a four flash days. In the pan. Yeah, I'm still on Vera. That's <sighs> not true. <laughs> so once again, Daniel, it was an absolute pleasure. Peter, thank you for having me. This was great. Anytime. Once again, big thank you to Daniel Kibblesmith for joining us on this show. And once again, you can find him on all social media platforms, like he said, at Kibblesmith. And how can you find us on social media? Well, we always say that we can listen to the beginning of the show. It doesn't matter. But go on Twitter, at The Marvelists. Give us a follow on there. Follow myself, at Peter Melnick. Eddie is not on Twitter. Hashtag Eddie Wilson doesn't need your Twitter nonsense. Thanks, Jeremy. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Give us a like on there and join, as of this recording, almost 10,000-plus fans, likers, fans of, linkers, I don't know. Also, go on Instagram at The Marvelists. Give us a follow on there. Follow myself at Peter Melnick and follow Eddie at EWilson9193. And, of course, drop us a line in our email bag themarvelists at gmail.com. Also, be sure to go on stitcher.com slash premium and use the promo code at checkout, Marvelists, and help support this show. When you do use that promo code at checkout for your free one month of Stitcher Premium, you're able to listen to a ton of shows, including the Smodcast archives, the Earwolf archives, the Nerdist archives, among many, 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 many others. But... The biggest one is Wolverine The Long Night is going to be on there. It's already completed, and you could be able to listen, binge listen to the entire 10-episode series, which tells a story about Wolverine trying to solve a mystery. A murder mystery. Ooh, but a mystery nonetheless. And when you do, like I said, you're helping support the show. And then when your one month is over, your one month free trial is over, if you want to stay on for Stitcher Premium, it is only... $4.99. That's chump change, guys. $4.99 a month to be able to listen to so many different shows that you might not be able to listen to any other way. So once again, stitcher.com slash premium and use the promo code at checkout Marvelists. So I think this is going to wrap this episode up, but the next episode, people, is going to be an episode recorded at The Joker's Child in New Jersey. One of the there's, there's a spot in New Jersey where there's like 15 different comic shops. But of those shops, Joker's Child is one of my personal favorites. And you get, we get to talk to the owner of the store, Len. And let me tell you, that was a fun conversation. And it actually features our thoughts on the Avengers Endgame trailer, which we didn't talk about on this episode, as you can tell. But we you get to hear us talk about it on that one. And that's... Honestly, the day of that, you know, trailer dropping. So it's still fresh in our minds. So for Peter Melnick, I'm Peter Melnick. He's Eddie Wilson when he's here. Excelsior.